0: one of the differences, I think, when becoming non-monogamous or polyamorous is that it opens up a little room to be a little more honest about certain things. And so I do think that tends to encourage a little more of that immediate honesty about like, oh, I just was at this workshop thing and I was really attracted to this person in my class, even if nothing comes of it. But like, if you know that you and your partner also date other people, that feels safer to say and is more okay than that kind of like, Ugh, should I or shouldn't I say it? And so I do like that idea of starting from a place of I should share and then thinking, well, or or maybe should I not, rather than starting from a place of I gotta keep everything secret and control people's information, and then, oh, maybe I should be honest about this. Welcome to the Multiamory Podcast. I'm Jace.
1: I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of
2: relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past.
1: Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you.
0: On this episode of the Multi Amory podcast, we are honestly going to discuss the topic of honesty. As children, we're all taught that we shouldn't lie and things like honesty is the best policy, but then in our actual lives, we seem to learn the opposite sometimes. So where does the truth lie? What about extremes like radical honesty? What about times when just being honest can mean just being a jerk? We're going to explore all of that and more on today's episode. If you're interested in learning more about our fundamental communication tools that we reference all the time on this show, then you should check out our book, Multi Amory Essential Tools for Modern Relationships, which covers some of our most used communication tools for all types of relationships. You can find links to buy it at multiamory.com slash book or wherever fine books are sold. Alternatively, the first nine episodes of this podcast also cover some of our most widely used and shared communication tools. And with that, let's get into this topic. So I was looking at our list of topics that we've covered over the last couple years and just kind of seeing like, what's something that we haven't really taken a dive deep down into and really gotten into? And I was actually surprised that we talk about honesty and we talk about honesty when it comes to communication a lot, but we haven't done one just focused on this. And it was a fun one to, to look into and put together for this episode. So just to start off, I mentioned in the intro that we're, you know, kind of taught as kids things like honesty is the best policy and that you shouldn't lie. What were some of the messages that you two learned? Anything besides that? Or was it would you say that sums up the whole message?
1: <laughs> well, it's so pervasive. You know, so between watching children's shows and going to Sunday school, of of course, it's all that honesty is the best policy, but mm-hmm. that becomes repeated to you at least this was my experience it becomes repeated to you so often it starts to lose its meaning and especially if you're not that thrilled about it in the first place it becomes very easy to ignore like eat your veggies hmm. right where i'm like okay yes i know i know that's what i'm supposed to do i know it's what i'm supposed to do but i really don't want to and so i'm not going to hmm. and i know for myself i grew up in a household with like a very reactive parent and so hmm. it definitely was not a safe environment to necessarily be honest all the time. And so I I think for me, it it went in one ear and where I could acknowledge, even from a young age, like, okay, yes, I I guess I'm forming my sense of morality and ethics and I can understand why it's good to be honest. But functionally, I need to survive and not be killed by my mom. (laughs) Jeez. Not that that was actually what was happening, but I think in my tiny, like, you know, five-year-old brain, that's how it feels, right? And so, no, it's not really safe, to be honest. Mm.
2: That's really interesting, because, yeah, you do learn those little aphorisms or, you know, sayings that honesty is the best policy and things along those lines. But I believe I was definitely taught also that it's okay to not necessarily be 100% truthful if it means that you're not going to be hurting someone
0: Mm -hmm. And
2: to get out of hurting someone's feelings, I feel like that to me was taught above just being radically honest, which we're about to get into, that being kind, even if it's not telling the whole truth, is potentially more important than being honest and harming someone.
0: Right. And I think that's where it all gets tricky, right? Is that thing of like, well, then where do you draw the line, right? Between okay, I'm not going to say this thing because I don't want to hurt this person's feelings, or it's going to make our relationship more difficult, and I don't want to do that, and it's not really worth it, versus now I've gotten myself into more trouble by not saying this earlier on, and now it's a bigger deal for me to try to bring this up now. Like, There's a lot of those little debates and, and challenges that go on. And it's also interesting to think about this in terms of the big range of stuff where honesty is something we have to think about. Right? Like on the one hand, it's, do I come clean about a mistake I made? And that's kind of what we were talking about as kids, right? You're taught you should tell the truth. And yet, if you don't tell, sometimes you don't get caught and then you don't get in trouble, right? Right? Or your mom doesn't get mad or or whatever. Maybe you just fudge the truth a little bit to make yourself not quite look as bad and then you don't get in as much trouble. And so, hey, that worked out. I should keep doing that.
1: Well, but what about you, Jace? What, what was it like in your childhood?
0: I mean, I feel it's all the same stuff, right? Like, you're kind of taught those, those aphorisms of honesty is the best policy and, you know, your parents get mad at you if they catch you lying. But if they don't catch you lying or if they don't catch you kind of bending the truth a little bit to make it not look like you stole this toy from your brother, but that he had left it and you just picked it up and were on your way to return it to him. Or, you know, something like that. Is
1: this a real life example?
0: <laughs> that one's not a real life example. I can't, I can't think of a good real life example now. But we had stuff like that all the time, right? Or like, I, I don't even want to get into all the stories, right? With, with siblings, you run into that a lot or just with friends or with teachers or whatever, right? It's that like, what's the version of the truth that makes me look better? If, especially if I'm worried about getting in trouble. And so it's like you get those kinds of messages. I did learn something super interesting a while back that I, I didn't even think about this till just now, so I didn't look this up ahead of time, but basically there's this question that comes up in sort of you know evolutionary biology, evolutionary psychology kind of stuff. That's this question of like, yeah, as humans, it seems like it would be to our advantage to be good at lying, right? Like not get caught because when we get caught for our lies, bad stuff happens, and that could you know, jeopardize our place in our community. And if we get excluded from that, we could die. And so the question is, well, why do we as humans have so many tells when we're lying? Like, why aren't we all more sociopathic, right? Like, why do we blush? Why do we make weird faces? Or like, why do we give ourselves away? And like the argument I've heard made that I thought was really interesting was that reactions like blushing, we evolved to keep doing because they cause us to get caught in our lies sooner instead mm-hmm. of later when the consequences would be much worse.
2: Interesting. It's like Lie to Me, that show that you and I watched, just Yeah,
0: yeah. I really enjoyed that show too. But it's all about those ways that we kind of give ourselves away when we're lying. But it's that idea of like, maybe that was something that we evolved to do intentionally. Because if you think about it, it's like, oh, if I say a lie and I get caught right away, people might be upset with me, but not as much as if I kept this lie up for years. And then they find out. Right. It's like the thing that frustrates me so much in all the romantic comedy movies where there's usually like some big secret that one of the characters is keeping from the other. And I'm just like, if you just started with this earlier on. It could have been like, oh, what a weird misunderstanding. Let's move on with our lives. Instead, it's now this like catastrophic bomb that's gone off. And, you know, you have to spend the whole second half of the movie recovering from it. But anyway, enough about us just kind of pontificating about this. Let's talk about what we're actually going to go through in this episode. So when the topic of honesty comes up, radical honesty is one of the things that comes up. So we're going to talk about that a little bit first, kind of what that really is, where that came from, what it's all about. And then we're going to get into something that we've labeled selfish honesty, which is kind of that opposite thing. Like we've talked a little bit about, like if you're not being honest to save someone's feelings, would being honest actually be selfish? Would you be a jerk to do that? And then in classic multi amory fashion, we're going to teach you a tool that has a super cool acronym. It's TIED, T-I-E-D. Uh, but we will get to that toward the end of the episode as a way to help determine is this something that I should be honest about? And is this someone that I should be saying this to? Uh, is a nice little way to examine that if you're ever in a situation trying to figure that out.
1: So let's dive into radical honesty first. So this is a term that was not only created, but also trademarked by Dr. Brad Blanton. So we have to say radical honesty, TM, 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 TM. Uh-huh. Trademarked it back in 1997. I looked up the term radical honesty on Google Trends because I was trying to think like, yeah, when did I first learn about this? I know I, I first yeah. read about it, I think, in a Slate article back mm. in the day. And that timing does track. It seems like on Google really peaked in, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007 or so. There's another peak in 2010. And then it's gone through like some teeny tiny spikes since then. But yeah, yeah, I think that tracks from my remembrance of first encountering the term.
0: I have this very clear memory of 2005 of coming across this term also in an article. I don't remember where it was. But yeah, this article kind of exploring the concept and the author of the article tried it for a month you know as part of their experiment in writing the article and it was interesting and definitely got me thinking about it and then i've seen it pop up now and again like in that show lie to me that emily mentioned in the first season one of the characters is radically honest like he's a radical honesty person practitioner Prop- Proponid- i don't know
2: what you call <laughs> <Yeah>. it <laughs> proponent of radical honesty Ad-
0: adherent yes an adherent um and then they just kind of dropped that plot line in the second season maybe cuz they're like oh shit this is trademarked
2: We have to say Brad Blanton all the time. (laughs) Right.
1: Well, if I recall from the first article that I read about it, I do remember getting the impression of this guy might be someone who's difficult to be in a relationship with. And yes, sure enough, there's some controversy floating out there about Dr. Blanton being verbally abusive in his workshops, but that's not what we're here to talk about or to debate. This is just a starting point for talking about honesty, right? Mm -hmm. So it's our entry point starting on this particular extreme end of the spectrum. On RadicalHonesty.com, they lay
2: out some core principles of what radical honesty kind of entails. And they say things on there like, lying is the primary cause of suffering.
1: Okay, let's unpack that right away. I got a lot of opinions about that. (laughs) I, I (laughs) I don't know
2: that it's the primary cause of suffering. I feel like... There's a lot of like internal turmoil over years of potential abuse or anger or just things from your past or whatever that maybe is the cause of suffering, but not necessarily lying unless that's a part of your trauma.
1: I can see I'll I'll make, you know, a devil's advocate argument. I can see that if you tie it to this idea of never fully being able to be ourselves, having to hide aspects of ourselves, having to hide our opinions and not express them, having to stifle ourselves. I could see that argument. Like, yeah, a lot of suffering comes from that. Right. I'm not sure uh, if that's what
2: they mean, but I I appreciate well, that
0: response. Yes. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I actually will say like to this site's credit and we will probably come down more on the critical side of it in this episode. But like to their credit, one, I guess there's a range of opinions of people who who practice this and how they present it. But I will say just from actually looking at the copy on their website, it is very much based in kind of a mindfulness approach to a lot of these things Um, and that it's based on, you know, on Dr. Brad Blanton, PhD, TMTM based on he trademarked his own name, I guess. No, just kidding. (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: But that you know, his experience working with clients was what led him to this conclusion of lying is the primary cause of suffering. So, you know, could be influenced by what types of clients he had, what sorts of situations those people or couples or whatever were in. And But I think it does cover what Dedeker was talking about, of that not just like being lied to causes suffering, but doing the lying also causes suffering. And like, because it makes you work harder to then keep up those lies or to keep track of them or when you get caught or that you're not expressing yourself honestly, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yes, to be fair, I'm going to take us on just a very tiny tangent before opening us back into this list of core principles, but I did just write an article for Vice a few weeks ago that was literally about some practices that are normal in non-monogamous culture that are not normal in monogamous culture. And I do think there's a different relationship to honesty, right? And I will mm, say my yep, experience working point. with some clients who are dating more traditionally or dating more monogamously, there are so many things where I just want to be like, just be honest about what you want or what you're thinking or what your intentions are. Like, good Lord, just please. you know. So I do see a lot of suffering that comes out of that. But anyway, I digress. We should lay out the rest of what these yeah. core principles are.
0: <laughs> okay. So on that subject of mindfulness, the second one here is not obvious right away. I had to kind of read more on their site about it, but it is, living honestly is the antidote to lying, and the root of its power is in distinguishing noticing from thinking. Can you break that down a bit? (laughs) Exactly. It doesn't make a ton of sense just reading it as it is, but my interpretation, based on kind of like the paragraph they had later farther down that page explaining it, is something that we have talked about some on this show, but it's distinguishing in a mindfulness way, what is it that I'm actually noticing versus what are my judgments and thoughts and opinions about that? Got it. Okay. And so... Okay,
1: that makes sense. So
0: again, to their credit, they're like, be honest, but it's not necessarily saying be honest about all your opinions about everything, but more about the facts of what you're observing as much as possible or like what your feelings are about something rather than kind of those snap opinions. So it's like there's a little bit of a mindfulness thing stuck in there, which to me is like the one saving grace for me, not just outright dismissing the whole thing.
2: Yeah. And to go along with some of the stuff that you had said before, we all have to be aware of our own internal cognitive biases that we have, you know, due to a variety of things in our life. And I think that those may color or change or cause us to like, maybe not be as honest with ourselves about certain things as we potentially could be. And so, I don't know. I mean, when going back to the non-monogamy thing, Dedeker, I do think sometimes maybe there are people out there that are like, yeah, I would rather actually live non-monogamously, but because of societal pressure or the relationship that I'm in or whatever, I feel like I can't do that, so I'm not necessarily living as authentically or as honestly as I could be. So, I don't know. There's... Yeah, The way that all of this is written feels fairly surface level, but then maybe when you kind of dig deeper into it, it does get really granular and specific into, yeah, some of those causes of suffering. So I'm not going to throw the baby out with the Bradley, what is his name? (laughs) <laughs> dr Blend bradley ba- bathwater that's his name <laughs> bradley bathwater but yeah the next one i also am not totally sure what the heck this is saying but we're gonna read it and then we'll try to figure it out you can only notice in the moment and you can only notice three categories of things sensations thoughts and your external surroundings yeah what? so again
0: it's this is about that mindfulness thing where it's okay. saying that like Part of the argument is y- you can only notice something when you notice it, rather than now I've thought about it, I have a different memory of it, I'm whatever. And so that's part of their argument for so you're honest right away. It's not like I'll eventually be honest, but it's like I'm going to be honest about the thing right now while I'm in the moment of experiencing it, and it's true. But what if you're a chewer? Right? <laughs> it does seem like or maybe it's better for chewers than for spewers, right? Because I say all, or like think all kinds of shit that I don't think two seconds later. And sure. that's part of the whole chewer spewer thing that we've talked about before. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it is a little bit interesting. But that idea of you can only notice three categories of things, which is your sensations, like the actual physical sensations, your thoughts about those things. And then I guess noticing your, your external surroundings, surroundings.
1: Okay, so I don't I, quite know what they I mean. think I'm formulating an example, but I want to get through the rest of these <laughs>
2: sure, before sure. diving okay. into that. Okay, here we go. Next one. Sharing honestly what you notice frees you from the suffering caused by attachment to lying, withholding phoniness and ideals.
0: Like, wait, but I don't want to share honestly everything that I <laughs> notice. Right. So again, it's the idea of like that I'm going to remove my own suffering because I'm just going to share right away, rather than having that debate about do I share this or not.
2: But that feels like so self-involved. Okay. I see we're getting into it. This is what this whole episode's about. I love it. Exactly. I'm just like, (laughs) what about the other person that may not want to hear what the fuck you think about that particular thing? I don't know. All right. Uh There's two more. Here we go. Sharing honestly what you notice also deepens love, connection, understanding, and forgiveness
0: eventually.
1: We put that in there with eventually.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the idea here is kind of what we talked about of like, I guess it's better to be honest sooner about something even if the other person doesn't like it rather than holding on to a secret for a long time, which I can't help but read this one and just think they're talking about affairs.
1: Sure. sure. Yeah.
0: Where, the, you're, mean- where Brad's like, I'm just going to tell you about all the women that I have cheated on you with so that you can eventually forgive me.
1: Okay. Again, I want to come in with a devil's advocate. I'm not sold on these, but with the deepening love and connection piece, what that brings up for me is this idea that if I'm in, in relationship with someone where I know I can trust what they are saying, I can trust that their no is a no and their yes is a yes, for instance, I can yeah. trust they're not just trying to people-please or they're not just trying to sure to fawn and tell me what I they think that I want to hear, even if it's hard. I think there's something nice about that, right? I mean, that's something that I value in my relationships now, even though I'm not in relationships with people who are radical honesty, adherence, TM, 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 that at least if I feel like there's a baseline of of tactful honesty, I think that's important to me. So I can see maybe along those same lines, that's where this particular tenant comes from.
0: I, you know, it's funny. I did think about that of people I've known in my life who are a lot more blunt than others. It's like, yeah, it can be a little jarring at first, but it is a little bit relieving to just know that
2: maybe refreshing. If,
0: yeah. It's like, OK, yeah, maybe you're a little bit abrasive to be around. But also, I feel like if you're as long as they're not stepping into like, I'm telling you what I think are objectives, truths that I'm like they're but they're not. If it is more like, I think this about this, I like this, I don't like this, it is, like Dedeker said, a little bit freeing to go, I will trust you then when you say you like something. If that's something that I did or something about me, I'll trust you more because you're also going to very bluntly say what you don't like. And so I do think there is something to that.
2: The final one is radical honesty is a living, walking, talking, out loud meditation that moves you from reactivity to being a creator of your own life. This guy sounds like a self-help geek or something, <laughs>
0: right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's the whole program, right? Yeah. So there's, you know, they have six week programs that you can sign up for and workshops it. and you know all the all the stuff, right? All the that's, usual.
2: That's like stuff. the log line right there for, oh, for sure. what radical mm-hmm. honesty yeah. is. Yeah. I don't yeah. think
1: all of this is terrible. Again,
0: yeah, there's as Emily said, I don't, don't want to throw the
1: baby out with. For the, the Dr. Breadwater. Brad
0: Bathwater. <laughs> the Water.
1: Okay, the way that I'm trying to understand this, I'm trying to think of an example. And so let me imagine my partner comes up to me and they say, how do I look? D- does this outfit look like it'll be okay for the place that we're going for dinner tonight? Mm-hmm. And
2: it totally doesn't.
1: And it totally doesn't. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh-huh. And so
1: if I'm like really trying to be mindful and just pay attention to, okay, what is it that I'm noticing versus what is it that I'm thinking and judging? So that's maybe some saying something more like, I notice that your clothes are wrinkled as opposed to you look like a slob or <laughs> that's no, shirt, there's right? no yeah. way that's going to fly. A- and will that get the result that I want? I guess then I have to follow it up with, will you iron your shirt or... Well yeah, change that's like clothes? a request. Yeah, I guess I also have to be honest about what I'm hoping for as a yeah. result of sharing that. That's that's right. maybe the closest tamest example I can think of in relationship, but I'm sure this could go down a pathway of getting into much more vulnerable and much more painful feeling territory pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, to me there's always that fear of like kind of like Emily mentioned of do people want my thoughts on this right now? And I guess it's one thing of like, do I look good enough to go out? Yes, and it's asked. like, I'm going to give you concrete feedback, but that kind of like, do I, if I'm radically honest, do I jump in at like a, a work meeting and offer my opinion about something that was not asked for? Do I do that to partners, to random people on the street? I don't know. I don't, I don't quite know if that's part of the equation or not.
1: I guess there was nothing in here about people asking for your honesty. There was nothing in there about that.
2: Well, that's the thing. Like, I think used in conjunction with something like the Triforce, where somebody is asking for Mm -hmm. something of you and you are not giving unsolicited advice or just saying whatever the hell pops into your head at any given moment, like some people do. I think Mm -hmm. that maybe it can be a powerful tool and a powerful thing to be able to be truly honest in a moment without so much judgment but if you are just stepping in and saying whatever the heck you want then that I think can fall into a category of like hey I really didn't need to hear that right now and that was very uncalled for and not cool mm-hmm. you know right. I I think yeah. you have to be careful with all of these potential tools don't weaponize that shit <laughs> hashtag TMTMTM multi-anonym <laughs> <Right. laughs>
0: Yeah, I've, so I've recently been reading this book uh, called "The Blind Assassin" by Margaret Atwood. And you love her. I do. And the, the main character is this older woman who's writing about her life from, you know, child growing up, and you know, growing up like through the early 1900s, through then the Great Depression and World War I and World War II and you know all this kind of stuff. And she was raised in like, a, a wealthy family. And one of the things that does come up is some of the people who are like her caretakers and like the older women in her life when she was a kid do a lot of this withholding of information or giving information at a strategic time as like a manipulation strategy. Mm. And I feel like we see this a lot on like political TV shows or movies and stuff too. It's that idea of you gave me some piece of information and you're like, I think we should tell people about that. And you're like, no, I'll take care of it. Don't, don't you worry about it. I'll make sure this gets to the right people. And then you kind of withhold it until just the right time as this like form of having control and manipulation of like being the one to give them this information at the time you think it will have the impact you want. And so to go to that other extreme, I can, I've also seen that kind of shitty behavior or that kind of way of approaching things that, that feels yucky too. Definitely. Something that I do appreciate about at least thinking about the concept of radical honesty of like, what if you did just always say what you thought and what you observed and you know what your feelings were without stopping to think, oh, should I say this or not? The thing I appreciate about it is that m- maybe is a better starting place of like starting from a place of I'm going to be honest and and upfront about most things. And then to kind of make that decision of, well, actually, maybe this isn't very nice of me to say, or maybe it's not my place to share this thing or something, but to kind of start from a place of assuming I should just be honest. And that kind of goes back to what Dedeker mentioned of one of the differences, I think, when becoming non-monogamous or polyamorous is that it opens up a little room to be a little more honest about certain things. And so I do think that tends to encourage a little more of that immediate honesty about like oh, I just was at this workshop thing and I was really attracted to this person in my class. Even if nothing comes of it, but like if you know that you and your partner also date other people, that feels safer to say and is more okay than that kind of like, should I or shouldn't I say it? And so I do like that idea of starting from a place of I should share and then thinking, well, or or maybe should I not, rather than starting from a place of I got to keep everything secret and control people's information, And then, oh, maybe I should be honest about this.
2: In terms of being radically honest, there are some things about this that it sounds like we kind of like a little bit. Like there's more mindfulness (laughs) aspects that are good, perhaps, or that we can take little bits and pieces from. So, you know, is this needing to say everything out loud that you feel, is that even really necessary, I guess? Is it helpful for the other person or is it potentially hurtful? Like I've been kind of saying, I think I am on the side of fawning clearly, as I've talked about so many times. And because of that, yeah, maybe I am not always 100% truthful about like, yeah, you look great or do whatever it may be, Uh because I don't want to get in trouble or I don't want the person to hate me. But there are moments where it is perhaps not necessary to say absolutely everything that you think out loud. What, what do you two think about that?
1: Well, I think we're going to get into that because, because I mean, my personal opinion is, sure, in relationship, maybe it is more relational to say something like, no, you look great. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Versus saying something like, yeah, I totally love that sex act that you really don't actually mm-hmm. love, right? Mm-hmm. you know, where like, sure, you're maybe you're protecting the other person's feelings, but at what cost? But at what cost?
0: It's a really right. good point. And before we go on to explore the flip side, well, the dark side of honesty, as it were, we want to take a quick break to talk about how you can support this show if this is information that you find valuable and discussions that you find entertaining and interesting. The best things that you can do is to take a listen to our sponsors, and go check out our website, check out our book. All those things really directly help support us in being able to continue putting this show and this information out there to everyone in the world for free.
3: You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.
0: For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection.
1: we're going to keep trucking along this spectrum of honesty. And so the next category that we want to explore is what we've decided to call selfish honesty. You know, kind of introducing, you know, what about these times when being honest is actually just an excuse for being a jerk. So selfish honesty, we have not trademarked this term. Uh, I don't think anybody has trademarked it as far as we know, but yeah, it's just our term for labeling the dark side of what can be considered honesty, which I think we've been dancing around a little bit already in this episode. So some examples of this, things like unsolicited criticism, you know, this idea of we give maybe overly harsh or overly critical feedback under the guise of just being honest, and particularly when this hasn't been asked for or it's being given in a way that really has zero consideration for the other person's feelings. And again, this can sometimes be more about asserting superiority or Mm. maintaining power more so than genuine concern or some kind of constructive intent. I've found that this can be a microculture thing as well, like a microculture within a family, within an industry, within a particular institution, that sometimes there can be Almost like if there's been generations of people who've been giving unsolicited harsh criticism,
0: Hmm.
1: like that stuff perpetuates.
0: Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about your example of, you know, does this look good for the event that we're going to or for this thing? Whereas it's one thing to maybe even before you leave the house to be like, oh, this is kind of more of a dressy thing. Do you want to do you maybe want to change into something else versus you're at the event and saying Hmm. you're really not dressed appropriately for this? Where it's like, there's nothing they can do about it.
2: yeah. That's and now they
0: just feel more self-conscious and shittier than they already did if they had noticed that themselves. Like I have a friend who has a bad habit of this, where if you buy something that he thinks was not a good purchase or say like, I saw this happen where someone got a tattoo and it's like, you don't tell someone that you don't like the design or that it could have been this other way or could have been better oh, after yeah. they got it. Yeah Or after they Terrible. bought the thing. Oh, no. or, right, It's like, that's not helpful. It's like, maybe uh. that could have been helpful before, but it's very much not now. Like, there's no benefit coming from this. And I would say a radically honest person might justify that and say that is okay. I don't know for sure. I'm not a radical honestarian, but, you know. <laughs> here's, here's another one. Ironically, using honesty, I'll put that in scare quotes, as a way of hiding the truth. So sometimes a person might say they're being honest about some minor issue or something they're upset about as an excuse to say like break up or get mad at someone when really it's something else. Like really it's that I'm attracted to somebody else or really it's just that I don't feel attraction to you or I don't want to be with you and I haven't for a while and I've just been looking for like enough little things to be mad about to kind of justify it to myself and to you. Or maybe to like punish someone by being upset about one thing when really it's because of something else that you're not over, you're still upset about. Some way of kind of like, oh, I'm just being honest. I'm just like really communicating to you how I feel when like, yes, it's true, but it's kind of hiding an actual bigger, more important truth.
2: This next one is guilt-driven confessions. So perhaps you have something that's really eating you up inside And you decide, you know what, I'm going to just come out with it. I'm going to tell, you know, my partner or the person that I'm in relationship with in some way the truth about like a past mistake or a wrongdoing that really no longer might impact the relationship. Maybe, for example, I mean, the one that I think of is you had an affair and that person is totally out of your life now, but you still really want to go and tell the partner about it. And that might be to alleviate personal guilt. And, you know, it really may do that for you. You may feel relief. You may feel better for telling the person that you did have this affair. But it could also cause unnecessary pain or distress to the other person. I think there are absolutely, you know, reasons to disclose something like that. But then I know there are on the other side, and we'll get more into that, people say, no, definitely don't disclose something, especially if it's a one-off.
1: Well, this is a super tricky thing. And and, and yeah, like For I sure. said, we we have a whole sidebar about disclosing affairs that we're going to get to. But like, this is really tricky to determine because it's like when we do need to come clean about something or we do need to confess something, part of it is always going to be relieving your own guilt. Yeah. I'm... Right. You know, but I but it's distinguishing when is it selfishly doing that versus when it's, when is it doing it because this is the right thing and I'm trying to repair and reconnect and you know come back into my integrity it's years
2: after the fact
1: well so the example that came up for me with this wasn't an example of an affair but I remember years ago having a client where I forget now the details but essentially something happened where like her partner sat down and read to her his entire journal that he'd been keeping about like what was going on in their relationship currently and so as in like completely unfiltered thoughts yikes. about her yikes, yikes. and her behavior and and the relationship and I'm I was like oh that's so hard because yeah of course you should be honest about what you're struggling with or honest if you have some complaints or longings about what you want from a partner but giving the completely unfiltered thought in the sense of now I just get to have it off my chest and I don't even need to do the work of curating this or trying to communicate this in a more compassionate and gentle way. Like you just kind of have to take the raw material and deal with it. And with my client, it was a really mixed result, right? Because on the one hand, she was glad that she knew what was going on in her partner's heart and brain. And then the other hand, she had to sit with, wow, he said this about me and that about me. And You know, and then that was really difficult. So it was sort of like a little bit of a wash, honestly, like got some benefits for being honest, but then I think also caused some new damage.
2: Yeah, that's exactly this next example, which is offloading your own personal baggage and openness can be a positive thing. But if you are sitting your partner down and like literally sharing all of these negative thoughts or feelings or worries or like you know, criticisms about them, criticisms about yourself, any of the above, that might really truly be harmful to them and put an unsolicited or unwanted emotional burden on them. And, you know, you may be using it as an attention seeking tool or validation for yourself or any number of other things that maybe that person just didn't need in that moment or it really catches them off guard or it's just kind of nefarious
0: in its intent. I would I would clarify with, with this one, like, I think this one comes up without any kind of nefarious intent, mm. but it's that like, I, you know, I want to be honest and be open with my partner, but kind of like dumping all my baggage on them or, you know, whether it's criticisms of them or even, you know, my own fears and things. It's, again, there's this balance, right, of, yeah, seek support from your partner and share with them and don't like hide those insecurities from them and just keep them bottled up but at the same time if it goes too far on the other side of just i'm offloading all of this on you can feel like okay cool so now it's my job to carry all this for you well they shouldn't be mm-hmm. your only m-
2: like mode of support either which we talk about a yeah, lot that's but also yeah. A great point. yeah yeah if you have things that you're really needing to work out, something like a therapist may be a better place to offload those feelings rather than your partner who may feel crap like I don't really have the tools in my toolbox to help my partner in the ways that sure. they need. Yeah. Finally, gossip is another example that we have here and it can be maybe seen as selfish honesty when, you know, a person shares confidential or sensitive information about ...friends or family members with others, but it could really be potentially damaging to those relationships. And if that's done under this guise of being open and honest, is it really actually a good thing or an okay kind thing to do? Gossip is tough. That's a it, something in our culture that we do so much, and it's almost seen as like something that can bring us together, like groups of people together to gossip about others... But it can be really shitty, you know, and especially if it eventually gets back to that person.
1: Well, I'll be the first to say I love Sharon Goss. I I mean, sure. I love hot Goss. And I did read a a study once upon a time, again, going down this Evo psych rabbit hole that theorized that maybe we evolved that sort of pleasurable neural pathway around gossip. Because back in the day in our in our family groups of, you know, 150 to 250 people or whatever, that was the best way for information to spread. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to talk to you about the news that I heard, you know, three degrees separately from me, the hot gossip about Kevin Bacon. I got to tell you, because we don't have a news service or social media or it literally is just spreading spreading news through gossip. But it does feel like there's also a line into, because you specifically said here, you know, sharing confidential information or sharing yeah. sensitive information or sharing information that's been told to you in confidence.
0: I t- just, I'm just i just distracted because you brought up Kevin Bacon because <laughs> my my phone number for years has been on some websites that attempt to give you phone numbers of celebrities. And so I will a couple times a year get... Weird, awkward calls or text messages with people looking for Kevin Bacon. Yeah, um, seriously? <laughs>
2: seriously. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> for
0: years. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And what's funny is, even when I tell them I'm not, they often don't believe me. They're like, uh, Kevin, come so, on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or they're be just honest. like,
1: be honest, Kevin.
0: They're like, oh, okay, no, that I totally understand. Yeah, it's not. But I just want to let you know how big an impact your movies <laughs> have made on my life, and like, and it's like really heartfelt shit. I'm like, I am not Kevin Bacon. Like, please, I'm really not. Anyway, She
2: just told him, like, I'm. I, you know, that really made my day. Thank you so much for telling me that. I'm so glad that my movies impacted you that much. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's,
1: that's it's, playing it's, with fire. That's opening I, I a door. That's oh, opening gosh. a really I'm weird door. Run, but it could make a fun rom com. I will day. say.
0: <laughs> you're right. You're right. amazing. So, so yeah. Let's let's come back just briefly. I don't want us to go. You know, spend a whole episode on this. But the thing about disclosing an affair, like Emily brought up, this is one that I remember. Several years ago, I read, or actually, no, I listened to a podcast episode where they had a therapist on who was kind of famous for coming down really hard on this of like, if you had an affair and it's over and you're still together with your partner, do not ever tell them. If you ever do that, you're being a selfish asshole and you're hurting them for no reason because you're not doing it anymore, right? It's done. And that was the first time I'd ever heard that concept presented. And I was like, huh. That's interesting. So then in preparing for this episode, I looked that up again, trying to find it. And I couldn't find exactly what podcast or episode that was because it was a long time ago. But I found that there are several therapists who've written blogs or things like that, and including some opinions from Dr. Ruth herself, like the advice column, Dr. Ruth, that have kind of come down on that side of, with the caveat of assuming that you're not still doing it, that you're going to hurt your partner and hurt your relationship for no benefit. And it was interesting to to think about that. And it's such a hot topic, right? Because people get like very emotionally activated, even thinking about this concept, right? Of like, oh, well, but I would want to know if that happened to me. And it's like, but if it's not anymore, would you, how would it change things? What would it's, and that's a tough call, right? Kind of gets into that like playing God kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, I have a good friend who used to live long distance away from her partner and cheated on him all the time with various people over the years. And then she eventually moved in with him and now they're married and he doesn't know about any of it. I knew about a lot of it and that was challenging on my end to be like, yikes, okay, I guess I'm just like keeping confidence of this person. That's an interesting one too. Do you tell? Yeah, that's like a there are, gosh. Yeah. there so are people. Tricky. Yes, and mm-hmm. there are definitely people out there who would be like, you have to tell the person who's being cheated on. I never yeah. did. I was kind of like, this is not my business. I don't want to tell anyone and like rock the boat. Yikes, that sounds awful. And I know that that would like yeah. destroy my friendship with this person too. And I don't know. They're they're married now, and I guess they're happy. So good well, that, for them. I mean, that-
0: you just brought up such an interesting part of it, too, is like, yeah, with with that being the other person, you could approach it in one way of, well, who are who are my loyalties to? But you could also think about it in terms of just is this my place? Yeah. like, Would this am I the person who should be doing this or is it not like it, it is a tough it is a tough thing
2: because I'm not really in a relationship depends. with them and I don't know their full story. Like maybe actually it's they have talked about it at some point and it is OK. And I just don't know that, or something, or maybe I'm lying to myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, that's so tough. I think that's another one yeah, where I think yeah. people would have very strong opinions it's on both debate. sides. Oh, yeah. For sure, yeah. A real hot debate for sure. Uh, so yeah, so there's that school of thought. Again, on the other hand, if you uh, bringing it back to the affairs thing, if you continue to have an affair and you you don't tell about it, you don't come clean. The more time that goes on, the more likely it is that you are going to severely hurt the other person when you are inevitably caught. It's less likely that the relationship is going to recover the more time that goes on. And there's some anecdotal evidence floating out there from some therapist blogs, you know, that say there's maybe about a 50-50 chance of a couple recovering after an affair is discovered. We don't have any empirical evidence for that necessarily. Again, that's just all anecdotal. I don't know about this one. Here's the deal. (laughs) I don't believe in karma, but I also kind of believe in karma in the Mm -hmm. sense like I don't believe necessarily in cosmic magical karma, but I do believe in there often, not all the time, but often being natural consequences for your actions, right? Whether the consequence is now I have to live with this and I have to live with that guilt and shame and anxiety Or sure, maybe the affair is over, but then I find out that like I contracted an STI and gave it to my partner and now I need to come clean about why that may have been the case or I have to make the choice to tell another lie and spin that tangled web. I guess for me, I feel like, okay, sure, maybe if you decided to end it or maybe you just had a one night stand and you're like, okay, whatever, it's over. I'm off the hook. I'm not going to do it again. And so I don't need to come clean about it. I'm still like, there's still some kind of ties there of all the ways that this is could come back to bite you in mm. the ass. And yeah. I think I'm of the opinion that maybe it's better to come clean when you have more control over that rather than it could be 10 years later, but then this person pops up back again and is like, I'm going to show up and come clean to your partner about what our relationship is and then ruin everything, right?
0: Yeah, that's true. the The thing I found really interesting when this was first presented to me in that podcast was they're kind of talking about to go back to how we got on this topic, which is that guilt-driven confessions thing of the idea that like, say you had this affair and let's assume for the case of this argument that some time has already gone by. So you did this and it's been like a year or whatever since then. So the STI thing, you've determined that's, that's not an issue. There's not some like impending risk or danger here and you're not doing it anymore and you're not planning to, but you're like, is he eating you up inside, right? That you have this guilt over this thing that you did. The the argument that this therapist was making was by coming clean and telling your partner, you're letting yourself off the hook a little bit Mm. and making them suffer a whole lot and potentially ruining your relationship versus that guilt that you're carrying is like part of your punishment for the thing. And I was like, huh, I'd never considered it that way. And I don't know. I don't, I really don't know what I feel about it. And my advice is don't, don't cheat. Like, yeah. Instead, like have the conversation first about opening up your relationship or get out of that relationship if you're not happy or like figure your shit out instead of doing this. But it's a tough.
1: Yeah, but my my experience having worked with a lot of clients who Mm -hmm. sometimes are like actively cheating or they're actively like the other quote unquote, this archetype of the other woman, the other person, right? right? Um, uh-huh. You know, in a relationship with someone who is cheating, I will clarify that if I'm working with a couple or a triad, I will not work with people if someone is actively like not disclosing something to their other partner, because I don't want to be on the hook carrying that knowledge, right, as the professional helping them. Yeah. So like, I've had to enforce that boundary, sadly, a couple times with people. Anyway, I've worked with a lot of people, individuals mostly, who are cheating, are involved with someone who is cheating on their partner. And the way people get into these situations, it's very rarely super black and white. It's it's messy. Someone's really lonely and they've been striking out dating for years and then they find someone and, and they connect and it's amazing. And then they find out six months later, oh gosh, you've been cheating on your wife this whole time. But now we're emotionally involved and I don't want to, you know, it's like the way that people get into these things is pretty messy. And that doesn't make it okay, but I do try to have some compassion and empathy for that.
0: So with, with all this in mind, we've seen that making that decision is tough. And so now, of course, we're coming to the part that everyone has been so hyped about this whole episode, which is, of course, the acronym that we've come up with to make a little tool to help out with some of these decisions or at least help you get some clarity.
1: Okay. So many of us have heard some version of what we'll call the threefold guide for determining whether or not you should say something or share something. So these three questions, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary?
0: And just as a fun piece of trivia, as I was doing research on this, I learned, I didn't know this, but this is often attributed to Socrates as having said this, this is not true. This is just 100% false. So if anyone tells not you fine that...
1: And it's also not necessary to say that it was Socrates, Socrates who said
0: it. Yeah. So that's not true at all. There are several people that it's been attributed to, several different sources where they did actually say the thing. Like Socrates just flat out, like that's not in any of the writings. He didn't, he didn't, that was never written down that he said that, but... One is this um, missionary, Amy Carmichael, in the 1940s. She wrote about it in some of her writings. Uh, Reverend Charles B. Taylor in the mid-1800s also said something like that. But there's also similar writings from India. There's like a Muslim proverb that's very similar to it. There are also some writings in some Buddhist Pali sutras that go back to like third century BCE. That are again, like kind of similar. There's like these little variations on sometimes instead of is it necessary, it's like, is it appropriate or is there propriety? Or, you know, there's like different words, different concepts, but kind of this idea of like a threefold test is very common and we don't know who the original source of it. And it seems like it's one of those things that's just been around long enough and has had enough sticking power. But the problem with it is that. I think it is a really useful thing, and I've definitely used it in my own life at times to kind of help explore the question of whether I should talk about something or be honest about something. But I think it's a bit limited, and I think it mostly applies really well when it comes to trying to decide if you should gossip or not. Mostly because you'll almost always come up with no to at least one of those three, (laughs) (laughs) and then you'll go, okay, I shouldn't share this thing. Or it's, you know, like sharing something about someone. It's like, okay, maybe it's true, but like, is it kind or necessary? No. Okay. I won't say it. Right. Like, you, you look ugly at this event and you can't do anything about it. Right. Like we talked about. Sorry. You, you look ugly is so harsh. You know, like yeah, your you're out of yeah, my harsh, face gosh. was like, Ugh. <laughs> I know, Emily was horrified. Something, right. Of like telling you something that's not helpful. Right. And it's just hurtful. So I think it can be useful for that. But it kind of breaks down if you try to apply it to some of the stuff we've been talking about, like disclosing about an affair or someone else's affair, or you really don't like that thing that they've been doing in bed recently, or that, you know, you're attracted to somebody else, or like any of these kind of more serious, a little more nuanced things that's not just this simple test. And so we looked at this and... Based on all the stuff that we've talked about, a lot of different people's writings and things put together this tool to go through a series of questions to ask yourself to help determine why you may want to say this thing or not. So it's not quite the same kind of test of like, it has to be yes to all three to pass. This is more four things to consider to help you get some more, maybe honesty, we could say, with yourself about... This thing, why you may not want to say it or why you may want to say it. So the acronym is T.I.E.D. So T.I.E.D. And I thought of it originally as like, in your mind, you're having this debate about whether to share something or not. But like, it's tied, right? Like, there's not a clear winner. It's, it's a tie. But then Zedeker. So yeah,
1: I heard it as like, you're Wonder Woman. and Wait, is your You're Wonder Woman. There's something with the lasso of truth. Are you yeah, tying yourself a, up? Are yeah. you tie ty- Like, but I'm like, okay, it doesn't make sense if you're tying someone else up because that's that's trying to get them to tell the truth. You're trying to determine, should I say something? Do you want to
0: tie yourself? Are you tied? Do I want to own... do some
1: self bondage?
0: Right. Do I want to tie myself
1: go. up with the lasso uh, of truth here? Do I, am I fit to be tied? Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> so, T I E D. So T stands for truth. Right out the gate, is it true this thing that's on your heart, on your mind? you know, and and you can sit with that, right? You know, am I, am I going to tell a lie? Am I going to tell, or is it true? Like, this is probably the simplest part of this rubric.
0: I think another little extra piece to that is with, is it true? Is a little bit of that, like, if this is just my opinion about something, that's a different kind of a truth than an objective truth, right? So it's just, again, not to say if it's yes or no, that 100% changes things, but, you know, is this True, true, or is it just true for me? And that might influence how you would approach the rest of these questions. Yeah,
1: that's a good clarification. So that's the T. The T is for truth. And then I is for intent. What is your intention here? So you can ask yourself some questions. Who am I sharing this for? Why is it important to share this? Am I sharing this for my sake or for the other person's sake? Am I sharing this with the intention of helping the other person? Or is it communicating something so that I can help myself? And and again, in laying these out, it's not the case that one of these is wrong and one of these is right. You know, sometimes it can be quite valid to share something for your own sake, right? You can ask yourself, do I want to even share this? Or do I just think that I should share this even if I don't want to? Again, that doesn't mean that you necessarily shouldn't. But it's really important to have this information. And again, asking how important is this intention for me?
0: And then after you have a sense of why, then look at what would the effect be? So E, effect. Will it prevent or cause harm? Right? So maybe I want to help this person, but if I really think about saying it to them, is it likely to help them or actually just hurt them more? Will it Prevent further hurt or injury. And that could be like actual physical injury, but it also could be emotional injury or even like financial injury of like disclosing the amount of debt that you're into a partner or something like that, right? Or that you have just got into a bunch of gambling debt after your recent trip to Vegas, right? Like lying about that would be potentially causing a lot of financial harm to that person assuming your, your finances are entwined in some way. So examining that a little bit, like, will it actually do the thing I intend? Uh, or could this cause more harm than it attempts to prevent? And then, realistically, how do I think this might be received and how likely is it to have that effect that I intend? So in addition to why you want to do it, what do you actually think the effect will be? As best you can evaluate that.
2: Finally, the D in TIDE is for delivery. So you want to think about not just what is being said, but also who you are as the person saying it, who you are saying it to, and when you are saying it. We talked a lot about regarding the affair thing. If you're saying this truth way, way after the fact, is that actually a good time? Wouldn't it have been better if you said it much, much earlier? If you tell somebody at the party that they're not dressed appropriately. Is that really the time when you should be doing this or not? after
0: they got their tattoo that you don't like it. Yeah,
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Also, you should be wondering, am I the right person to communicate this thing? Maybe I should be a little bit kinder in my communication as the spouse or the partner of this person. Maybe it would be easier if it came from a friend, for example. It wouldn't be as harmful or as challenging to hear
0: from somebody else. Or or even just, is my opinion even wanted in this situation at all, right? It's like that whole offering unsolicited advice thing, right? Like, am I actually the person who should be giving this here? Am I actually being asked for this?
2: Also, is this the right person that I should be telling? So that really goes down in like the gossip category. Uh-huh. Should I be talking to this person about this thing? Maybe not. Maybe definitely not. Is this the right setting for delivering this message? Maybe not at the party, maybe not in front of a group of friends where you're like going to be digging Mm. on, you know, your BFF or your partner in front of a bunch of other people that might not be the best time to disclose this information. Is this the right time or is it, you know, necessary in this moment? Is it super urgent? Is my partner having a rough time because they're on their period or they're about to walk out the door and you're like, wait a minute, I have to disclose my affair or something. (laughs) That might not be the greatest time. Gosh. You know. And acknowledge that it might not have the intended effect. So if that's the case, then what's the best way or the best time to hopefully improve those odds? And do this in the, the kindest, gentlest, most understanding way possible, especially if it's something... That may potentially be really harmful and challenging for this person to hear.
0: Yeah, even, even if we're taking out like harmful from it, because that's a little bit of a amorphous term. But if it's just, it'll be challenging, like yeah. a good example is bringing up to your partner that you're interested in having some kind of open relationship or polyamorous mm-hmm. relationship or something like that. That question of, yeah, again, right before they go to work or right after you got in a fight or right while they're feeling shitty and overwhelmed at work or something is just not going to be a great time for them to be able to process that information. That's an example of something where if you went the radical honesty route of like, as soon as I have that thought, I'm going to blurt it out. I don't know that that's actually the right way to go about that.
1: You know, I wouldn't want this to go the route of because I know, like sometimes when you have to deliver bad news or news mm-hmm. that you know is going to impact the person and bring up some negative feelings, it can be really easy to get stuck in that. There's never a good time. And so I just hold on to it perpetually. Right. So yeah, time setting is a consideration. And also I think thinking about things like intent and effect also need to be weighted as you're trying to make this decision about whether or not to disclose something to someone.
0: Totally. So again, with all of this, the point of it is just to ask some questions to really get to the bottom of it rather than trying to apply some simple, I would argue, surface level kind of way of getting off the hook of having to make the decision. Whether that's a radical honesty approach or whether it's always keeping everything secret or coming up with some other random policy that is just like, "Oh, if I just follow this all the time, then I'm fine because it's that's not real life." At least I don't think so. So this is a way to really help get to the bottom of this for yourself and try to make that decision. So to recap it real quick, it's Tide, Truth, Intent, Effect, and Delivery. So Truth is, is it true and is it true objectively? Intent, why do I think that I should or why do I want to say this thing? The effect, what do I think the effect will be and does that line up with what my intent is here? And then the delivery. Of Am I even the right person to be saying this at all? Is this the person I should say it to? And how can I present it in a way that is effective and compassionate without, like Dedeker said, putting it off forever because there's never a good time. And as we've mentioned, this is a nuanced topic with lots of different opinions. And we would love to hear from you. On our Instagram stories, we have a question of the week, which is, have you had a time when it would have been better not to be as honest as you were? We would love to hear your thoughts on that. I'm very curious about what those answers will be. And if you want to discuss this further, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in the episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Emily Matlack, Dedeker Winston, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our production assistants are Rachel Schenewerk and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com.
3: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands.